Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we'll read from verses 1 to 7 this morning. We'll give our musicians and to Don for your work up here this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's uh, commit this time to the Lord. We thank you, Father, for this time. We just thank you for your word. And we just pray that uh, your teacher, your spirit, would be our teacher this morning. And he would open up the eyes of our understanding, open up our hearts, and grant us the grace that we need to live it. We thank you once again for this precious time. And we pray for your blessings upon us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once a salesman who was used to living a fast-paced life, he went to go and do a sales trip to a small country town. And he was used to riding on, on trains that went quite fast, but this particular train that went to the small country town was an old one and was travelling along an old track and it was going at a very, very slow pace when suddenly it came to a stop. So he's riding along, tracking along on this train and it gets to a stop and he's almost the only passenger in the car as well, in the actual uh, train. And um, he said, what's, what's happened? We're in the middle of nowhere, why have we stopped? And the conductor said, nothing to worry about, sir, there's a cow on the tracks. I wasn't used to hearing about cow being on the tracks over there in the city. After about 10 minutes or so, the, the train started to build up speed again and, and took off. And after about another 10 minutes, it stopped again. And, they, and it came to a, a complete halt. And the, um, and the salesman looked at the conductor and said, what is it now? Did we catch up with the cow? <laughs> and most people spend their entire lives chasing after what they don't have. Does that make sense? People are always chasing after something else. Like they, they get to one particular stage in their life and they're not happy and so they chase after something else. And then they get to that particular point and they're still not happy and they realise that's not going to bring them happiness but they need to chase after something else. And sometimes we get caught into that trap okay, of never being content where you are. Of always needing to go and chase the next dream in order to be fulfilled. 
And that probably feeds into a lot of the impatience and intolerance that we see in our lives at the moment. There's a lot more people that seem to be impatient with life. A lot more people getting upset, you know, when the car in front of them doesn't pick up enough speed on the freeway. You know, if you're doing 98 instead of 100, they'll uh, accelerate very quickly around you, okay, to give you the message. So, people are always in a, seem to be in a rush to be chasing after something. Um, sometimes it looks to us, because we seem to be in that, sometimes in that particular frame of mind as well, that we're also on a slow moving train, impatient to get to the next thing. Sometimes we look around us and look at this world and it looks like a bit of a slow moving train wreck, to be honest with you. Like a train coming off a cliff, the way it's actually heading. Sometimes we can become discouraged by the directions seem to be travelling in our own lives and become discouraged that we're not moving ahead fast enough or achieving what goals we set for ourselves. And, you know, at the end of every year, people look back at the past year and they say, oh, well, who's normally happy with where they are, with what they've achieved? A lot of people think, no, no, I haven't done enough. And now I have to set new goals when the new year comes around. Have you ever noticed that people are always eager to get to the next phase of their lives? You know when you're, when you're kids, I remember when I was a kid, I'd look at the teenagers around me and they were so cool. They used to have hairstyles that I didn't have. They used to have the, these special clothes that I didn't have. They were allowed to do things. They had the bigger bikes. They had skateboards and I wasn't able to do half the stuff that they were allowed to do. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a teenager. When I became a teenager, I looked at the adults who were able to drive. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great, you know what I mean, to, to be able to drive a car, look what they can do. And so teenagers tend to want to then become adults. When you want to become an adult then, you know, you, you realise, okay, driving's not that big of a deal. And then you start looking for, okay, I need to, you know, have a, you know, find a spouse. Then when you found a spouse, I need to have children. And then when you have children, you know, you want the children to grow up. Yeah? And then get married and move on. Right? So, then, so then you look to become uh, retired. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to be working anymore. You know what I mean? People work realising, you know, they, they want to retire. Because apparently when you retire, they promised you that you can buy a caravan and travel around Australia for the rest of your life. <laughs> Who's looking to buy a caravan? <laughs> I know there's a few of you out there. But apparently, one thing they didn't tell you when you retired was that your kids were going to have their own kids and they're going to drop them at your doorstep. <laughs> and now, a new phase opened up in your life and your caravan is rusting in the backyard somewhere. People always in a rush to get to the next destination. Um, people always seem to be in a rush to get something or obtain something that they don't have. And a lot of people don't enjoy or are content with their life where they are, ever. Because there's always some reason not to be content. So they think that by chasing something else, it will give them happiness and contentment. And happiness eludes most people in the world today. Now recently we've been looking at the fall of Lucifer. 
Okay, so Lucifer was the name of the angel who fell in in the well, not in the garden because he tempted man in that garden, but he fell and he ended up tempting man in that garden. And Lucifer was his original name, and we had a bit of a look at what he had. Okay, how he had such a privileged position in front of God, how he was made with perfect beauty and perfect wisdom, how he had so many blessings in his life, but still wasn't happy. He had to chase something else that he didn't have. And in his particular case, what he didn't have, he wasn't supposed to have, because he wanted to be the ruler like God and rule over the other angels. And same thing with man. Both man and the devil, it seemed, desired to have something that they had not been given. It sprang from a heart of discontent. They weren't happy with what they had. And when you consider man, you know, how many of you with aches and pains out there are looking forward to a new body God's going to give you? I'm sure you are. Can you imagine Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden? Can you imagine God planted the garden himself? I mean, I've seen some beautiful gardens. You know, when you go to the botanic gardens in the city, they're just beautiful just to walk through. But can you imagine the garden that God planted himself? Because it says that he planted it. How beautiful would that have been? And then God puts Adam and Eve in there. Perfect environment. Absolutely perfect. They haven't got one ache or pain. They're never going to grow old. They haven't got no, no sicknesses. There's no fighting going on. There's no wars going on around them. There's no, there's no headaches, no governments taxing them. Okay, there's, Everything is just perfect. Yet, the devil convinces them, God doesn't really love you because he hasn't given you that, tr that fruit from that tree. He's holding out on you. And so both the devil and mankind yearned for something they weren't supposed to have. And it comes from, the Bible calls that covetousness. Okay? Covetousness. It's desiring something that you're not supposed to have. But I want you to turn with me back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 17. Because this final commandment out of the ten is one of the hardest to keep. And Exodus 20 verse 17 says, Thou shalt not covet, which means to desire, thy neighbour's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbour's. Now that's pretty broad, isn't it? Okay. And who's your neighbour? Everyone around you. So God says, thou shalt not want anything that your neighbour has. Now is that an easy thing to keep? It's difficult. I mean, can you look at all the other ones, you know, thou shalt not kill. Well, I can probably hold back from killing someone. But then not to desire something. 
not to desire something that belongs to someone else is a whole different level. And it's not anything that we are called to desire. It's, it's, we're called to, to not covet anything of our neighbours. And you know where coveting actually comes from? Coveting comes from jealousy. Because when I look at my neighbour and I see, oh, he's got a bigger house than me. He's got a nicer car than me. He's got, a, he's got servants. He's got uh, this, that or the other. He's got a nicer kitchen. He's got a better job. He's got better clothes. He's got a, a better computer than me. He's got a better phone than me. He's got a better watch than me. He's got better... What does that stir within us? Jealousy. To become jealous of someone else is, the, is linked to covetousness. Because when I become jealous of someone, what do I feel towards them? Is it goodwill? No, at all. Actually, it robs any goodwill that I have toward them. In fact, jealousy towards someone else actually becomes despising that person. Because deep down, what we are saying, and this is the, the same problem that Adam and Eve had and the same problem the devil had is when I begin to cover what someone else has and I become jealous of them, what I'm secretly saying inside me is I deserve more than them. They don't deserve to have it. I deserve to have that thing. And so the devil did that very thing. He looked at mankind and he saw, wow, look at what an easy life man has. God's given man perfect environment. He's got a perfect uh, uh, relationship with God. He's got dominion over the entire world. You know what? I deserve that. And so he managed to rob it from man. And when the devil looked at God and he saw, wow, look at all those angels worshipping him. Look at how they just adore him. They love him. But look at me. Look at how beautiful I am. Look how intelligent I am. Why doesn't anyone worship me? I deserve that. And he sought to steal the same thing. He coveted those things which were not his to have. And it came from a heart of jealousy. And that comes from a heart of saying, I deserve more. Much more. And so then he, with the same covetousness and jealousy that he had, he managed to build the same into and convince man that God wasn't being good to them either. And they deserved so much more. And that God was holding back, even though they'd, he'd given them all these things. You know what? You know what he's really holding back on you? The knowledge of good and evil. And he knows that the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him, like God. You can be worshipped too. And so they fell for the same thing. And we lost it all. That's the story the Bible tells us. We lost everything because of our covetousness, because of our jealousy. And the devil didn't just manage to convince us. He managed to convince a third of the angels in heaven to do the same thing. To say, God's holding out on you. Look at what you should have. You shouldn't be stuck having to worship him. You can become gods yourselves. And so there was a rebellion in heaven and the third of those angels fell with the devil. 
because they wanted their fair share. What do we want? And when do we want it? And is it any wonder that the false teachers at the end of the world, in the last days, the Bible says, <coughs> are using the same deception? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Second Peter chapter two verse three says, and through look at look at look at what they use through covetousness shall they with feigned words, which means sham words, okay, make merchandise of you, which means make money from you, and turn you into a business, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Okay, through covetousness shall they, with manipulative words, with words that have no real meaning, they're going to make business from you. They're going to actually make merchandise. You become their product. The same feigned or sham ideas and words are rife today. You don't have to look very far. Turn on your TV for two minutes. Look at any commercial, look at anything that they're trying to push to you these days, and it's the same ideas. That they're teaching you that in order for you to be happy, you need to what this other person's got. Okay? Are your teeth wide enough? They're obviously not. They're too yellow. You need to have, in order for you to be happy, you need to have white teeth. Okay? And if you buy this product, you can have white teeth, and then people will love you. Don't expect people to put up with your yellow teeth. <laughs> your problem is you don't have enough of this, or enough of that, or enough of... And see, so-and-so is really happy. Look at what they've got. You love, you love those, you know the commercial they show the before and after? You know, have you ever noticed that someone who's overweight, they take a photo of them in black and white, and like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then they lose two kilos, they're like, <laughs> you realise it's all a ploy, right? Okay. So let me take you to the next level now. Because the same, the same type of sales gimmick that they use to sell you things, okay, is the same type of sham and, and feigned talk that people are trying to convince everyone else that they can be any gender they like. Not happy with your gender? Well, you can be another gender. Doesn't matter if it's, if it's not your sex. You're born, a, you're born a male? Doesn't matter. Not happy with who you are? You can be a female now. <coughs> and if you change your mind, you can be a male the week after. <laughs> and they convince a woman that she can kill her unborn child. Because her happiness and her freedom is so much more important. That a man can go looking for sexual gratification outside of his marriage because, hey, you deserve it. Your wife's not that good to you? Well, you can find it somewhere else. 
same type of nonsense that convinces people that they can sacrifice their family for the sake of their career. Okay? Because your career is more important. Okay? So it doesn't matter about your family. It doesn't matter the relationship you have with your children. It doesn't matter if you, if you miss watching your kids grow up and being there for your kids. Your career is important. And then, the, and then it will justify you being away from your family and not spending your time with your family because you're, you're, because you're actually providing them through your career. So if your career is going well, then your family is going to benefit. But if your career goes down the drain, well, hey, your family's not going to eat. Same type of nonsense that says you can break the law as long as you're not hurting, hurting anyone else. You can lie as long as you get ahead and no one catches you. But the list goes on and on and on. And it's the same type of lie that's been told from the very beginning. That you can find happiness by getting something else. Not being content with what you have, but always looking for something else. And so the devil keeps people trapped in a in a cage like that. You ever seen those little you know the, the little the hamster on the wheel? Okay. That's what most of the people are without realising and they can't get off the wheel. Because the wheel is going too fast. And so you can't stop the wheel once you're on it. You just have to keep on going. Okay? And it's the same thing with Christians. Because he will try to convince you that you don't have it all. You need more to be happy. And he's the master deceiver who keeps people in the dark, making merchandise of one after the other. But what he doesn't tell you when he sells you this thing, notice the, the, the stuff on TV, you'll notice they don't tell you the price half the time. You know those, those TV infomercials? They won't tell you the price and it gets so frustrating. I want to know how much that thing is. The reason I won't tell you the price is because it's very expensive. There's a, there's a lot to pay for that thing, right? What the devil doesn't tell you is that when you go chasing after these things, that there's always a price to pay to have it. If I don't have, if I've got one thing, he convinced me I have to get a second thing. But then what comes with the second thing is a whole lot of other messing around, isn't it? I have to then look after that thing. I have to take care of it. I have to, I have to make sure that it's actually working and, or, and, and all that sort of stuff. I might have to pay insurance for that thing. I have to house that thing. I've got to find a place for that thing. You know, I, I saw recently an interesting uh, uh, picture that says the same thought comes into people's minds. And it showed a picture of a woman um, sitting on the ground with nothing to wear, obviously a poor person, right? And in her mind, she said, in her mind, the thought was, I've got nothing to wear. And then next to her is a woman with bag after bag, right, in, in looking at the shop window, right? <coughs> with uh, the wardrobe full of clothes, who says, guess what? I've got nothing to wear. <laughs> it's funny, but it's sad at the same time. Isn't it? Because the devil's managed to get people in the spinning wheel and it doesn't end. And so while they're spinning the wheels of their lives, the days, the weeks, the months, the years go by and they take their eyes off the wolf. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. Because they're always looking for it somewhere else. 
And so in this particular passage, you have it all. Don't be distracted by the gifts that he gives you. Okay? Don't be distracted by those. Even though he gives us many good things. You know, we look at it and we say, you know, God looks after us, he answers our prayers, he, he feeds us, he clothes us, he, he gives us everything we need, he might give you, and you, 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 it's good to give thanks for the job that you have, for the family that you have, for the church that you have, for the, for the, for the people around you, for all the things that we know are blessings from God, but don't be distracted by them and take your eyes off him. Because that's a bit like saying you're not, you're not understanding what the more important thing is. That's a bit like having a home that you live in, a nice big home, beautiful place that you live in, but you worry more about your shed than you do for your home. Okay, The shed is not more important than your house, right? Men, please make sure you're agreeing with me that. <laughs> I know you, some of you spend an inordinate amount of time in your sheds, but the house is more important, okay? Well, some of you have relinquished the house to the good wives, and you're in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> so the message for us today, and I'm, we're going to get into this passage now, is to value those things which are more valuable, and to put things in the right order in your life. Value what you've been given now. And be thankful for it, but make sure that you always keep your eyes on that which is most precious. Whom from all blessings flow, which is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay? And so 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, says something very important that you can live by. It's a great thing to put up on your wall. Okay? Because it will stop you from chasing after things that will not give you happiness. It doesn't mean you don't you stop doing things, but it means that you don't pin your hopes on those things, okay? And you don't put them before God. First Timothy six 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 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay? Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you have God in your life and you find contentment in Him, then there is much gain in that. But many people, even believers, have never found that contentment and are looking busily all over the place and never find satisfaction or peace. They are never content with where they are. And they're always in some sort of a transition in their life. This is what the Galatian church was in danger of. They had received the gospel. They had turned to Christ. They were, as we are today, looking forward to when Jesus is coming and is coming to take us home. But some people had convinced them that that wasn't enough. You needed to actually obey the laws given to Moses uh, in order to be happy, in order to keep God happy as well. And so they would benefit, the argument was, from turning back to the ceremonies, those beautiful ceremonies. 
The beautiful priesthood that we used to have. You know those guys used to get dressed up as priests? Beautiful, you know, gowns and, and, and robes and things. Oh, such a beautiful ceremony they used to have. I used to remember those ceremonies growing up. And then those special dietary obligations you used to have, the dress codes, the rituals, the holy days. So turn back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. So I want to I share something with you. I want to remind you, the devil always wraps up the same present over and over again, if you haven't worked it out. Okay? Who loves re-gifting presents here? Not one hand up in the whole thing. The devil will wrap up a gift for you, okay, which will cost you. Okay? Once you've opened it up, you think, oh, it's fantastic. Look at this new fantastic thing I've got. It's a bit like those Italian... I'm used to remember in the 90s and uh, in the early 2000s, we used to have a family that used to go to Italy for holidays and then there used to be a salesperson there next to the Trevi Fountain. He used to be selling camcorders. He used to be selling like video cameras. And they'd buy, they'd sell you a video camera for a third of the price, right? And then people would actually think, oh, wow, what a fantastic deal. Perfect, I can take, start taking video and they'd sell them this, this, uh, this box and after they opened it up, there was a brick inside. <laughs> That's what the devil does. Okay? He'll wrap up something, looks fantastic, and then he'll sell it to you. Okay? And then you'll you'll buy that and you'll try it out and you realize this is not what I expected and it's costing me. And so what he does, the next time around, you know what he does? He'll just put a different wrapping on the same thing. And you know what we're stupid enough to do? To buy it again. Different wrapping, must be a different thing. And then he does it again. And he does it again. The devil keeps selling the same thing to people. Looks different on the outside, maybe a different box, different wrapping, but he does it over and over again. The same nonsense that traps people over and over again, always with the hope, maybe the next thing will be good. You know what I mean? And so Galatians 4, 1 says, and this is where Paul explains to the Galatians what they have to be careful of. And he says, um, Galatians 4, 1, Now I say that the heir... As long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but it's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Okay, so that looks that sounds very complicated, but it's actually very, very basic. Paul's saying, and he's speaking to the Jews here, they're the ones being tempted to go back to the actual law more than the Gentiles, that's for sure. And he's saying to the Jews who are saved, he's saying, even though, remember, we were heirs of salvation, okay? We were heirs of it. Um, we've been given the oracles of God. We had the word of God. But we weren't the children of God yet because we were still like servants. Okay? And here he says, even though we were heirs, until an heir is able to inherit things, he's got no rights, a child. Can't go and do what you want with it, can you? You can't go taking your inheritance and go spending it when you're a kid. No, you're under the same rules and regulations as the servants. You have to go to school. You have to eat your broccoli which you might not like. You're going to have to study. You have to behave. You have to make your bed. You've got to show respect and so on and so on. Things that you might not have to do when you're, when you're an adult. Do you understand? So you're saying you're under all these rules and regulations while you're a kid. You don't get to spend any of your inheritance. You might be. Maybe one day it's going to come for you. And so the Jews were the heirs 
of the promises of God. Right? They were the heirs. They've received all the promises. They've received the prophets who said, you know, the Messiah is going to come one day. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And this is what you've got to look forward to. It's the promises were they were going to be the head and not the tail, but they were going to, God was going to bless them abundantly. They were the heirs of the promises of God. But they hadn't received them all. These were the ones who were meant to have shined to the rest of the world like lights, like a city on a hill in the darkness. These were the chosen people of God, the ones through whom the rest of the world was going to be blessed. And even though they were the keepers and the, and the keepers of the promises and the covenants of God, they still weren't inheritors yet. They were still under tutors. They were under a teacher. They couldn't do really do anything until that promise came. Children who had no right to exercise their freedom of ownership because they were not yet of age. They were under the commandments of God which had authority over them until the time appointed by the Father to say, okay, now you're old enough to do this. Now you're old enough when they would graduate and receive rights as children. As, as the heir, Israel was the firstborn among all nations. Not the first ever nation, the firstborn, which means the preeminent one. You see, they were chosen by God. They were the heirs. Okay? They were the firstborn. Israel had the rights and the privileges of a firstborn. And through their position, they were meant to be the blessing to all other nations. But Israel, during the time of their tutoring, during the time of their, of their childhood, was under the law, kept in subjection until the promise was fulfilled. Israel was in a state of transition. They were meant to be learning. They were meant to be growing. They were meant to be looking forward to when God would fulfill that time when they could graduate. And you might say, what about all the other nations? Well, all the nations had their conscience. They didn't have the law. Romans didn't have the law. The Greeks didn't have the law. The Persians didn't have the law. The Babylonians didn't have the law. The Assyrians didn't have the law. Any of those nations that interacted with Israel, none of them had the law. Only Israel had the law. And Israel was under the law. The rest of them, the rest of us, were stuck with our conscience that was telling us you're doing a bad job. Turn to Romans chapter 2 verse 14 with me. So Israel had privileges. Israel was the heir of the promises of God. And through, their, through them God was going to bless the entire world. But Romans chapter 2 verse 14, which I've shared with you I think a couple of times already the last few weeks, just to be clear, it says, For when the Gentiles, Romans 2.14, when the Gentiles, that's us, which have not the law, so we don't have the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. 
in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You see, there's no secrets that you can keep from God. God judges all the secrets, the secret thoughts, the secret intents, the secret things that people do, and there is no one, Gentile or Jew, that escapes that. And if you remember the, the course of things, the order of things, the first thing man had was the conscience. Okay, And we got it from the garden, from that time on. But then, what happened during the time of our conscience? Well, the Bible says the world was filled with violence. Didn't do a very good job at it, at trying to keep us in the control. And the world became so evil, so bad, God had to destroy the entire world, and he saved one family. Okay, Noah and his family. Eight people out of possibly millions. And as hard as they might be trying to keep under that, under the, that same to world, are basically well, people make sure they what the parents say. Here has received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Which brings us to the last portion here, Galatians 4, 6 and 7. Which brings us to the point where we are as believers, okay? And he says here in 4, 6, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think? God has sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts, and we, and we recognize now that we've been adopted into God's family, and we can say, Dad. And we look forward to being together with our Father. Now, Christmas is an important time for most families, isn't it? There's a lot of people travelling all over the place. Where are they going? Most of them are going home. Most of them are going home to be with their families. Because for some strange reason, the world seems to think that Christmas is a good time for families to be together and to put priority on what's important. Is one day we're going to be home. We're not home yet, the Bible says. We're like strangers and pilgrims in this world. And we, we get together at church on a Sunday and we are, we are we're called to encourage each other because we're not home. The Bible says we're looking in a foreign land. We don't speak the same language as, any, as other people anymore. They look at us strange. They don't understand what we're talking about. When we talk about the relationship we've got with Jesus and how important he is to us and we talk about the word of God, they don't look at us, they don't look at us the same. We speak a different language now. Okay? We don't belong, the Bible says. At, at the, 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 the most prestigious position we have in this world is to be ambassadors to it. Okay? That we represent another kingdom. The Bible says that one day we are going to be home in, in the, our kingdom. Not just in another kingdom, but at the same table as our family. At the same table with our Father, with our Saviour, the one who loves us the most. We need to keep our eyes on him. Not be distracted by the things of this world. That's why James tells us, be patient therefore, brethren. Be patient. Unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, the person who, who does the, the fields and, and it grows things, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, 
and have long patience for it until you receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Okay? He's coming. And he will take us home. And in the meantime, don't be distracted by the empty promises of the devil. Don't jump on the hamster wheel. And if you're on the hamster wheel, jump off. Okay? Don't go chasing after the things that this world goes chasing after, thinking you're going to find happiness in those things and putting your Saviour second. Okay? Jesus goes, should go before us, right? Which means we keep our eyes moving forward with our eyes on him. We don't put him behind us and make him chase us. Keep your eyes on your Saviour. And it calls for patience. It calls to establish our hearts. Set your heart. Fix it properly on Him. Because He's coming back soon. And we should always be thinking that this is our last day on this earth. That's how we should live. As if it's our last day. So if you've received Christ as your Saviour, if you know that He is your King, if you've bowed the knee to Him and called upon Him to save you, then keep your eyes on Him. If you don't have Christ this morning, then you don't have anything to look forward to. And you will continue chasing after the things the world has promised you and the devil keeps you locked in because you don't have the solution for your eternal destiny. You don't have a hope to look forward to. You haven't experienced genuine love. So I call on you this morning, whether you're a believer or whether you're not, Turn to Christ. Keep your eyes on Him because He is our hope in all things. God bless you. God bless you.